Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Amen. Hey, do you know that? Thank you. Do you know that? He will hold you fast. Um, I have a question for you. Uh, How many of you had something of your holiday plans disrupted? Something happened. It it was different than you thought. How many of you had that happen? Did you guys get to go skiing? You did. Did you have any snow? Okay. Raise your hand. Did you had something disrupted? How many didn't have anything disrupted? Uh, How many made no plans? Same group? No. Oh, Mike said I wouldn't like this. He's right. That really crowds me. All right. How am I going to do this? Then then you know what he says? It's too far away from my eyes. He just mocks me. Um, We had a lot of things change. A lot of people have. We've got a sister, Eileen, who's uh, last I checked. She's got such a wonderful spirit. COVID, goes to the ER, so I checked in with her, you know, and she writes like, eh, just kind of like Jesus, no room in the inn, I'm still in ER the next day, they got no beds for me, but then, but listen to this perspective, but I get a lot better care here, that's totally Eileen, always looking for something to Jesus that he's doing, you know, uh, we had one daughter come down, I'm like an hour before she's going to leave, with her three little kids, the daughter that needed to be with us the most, uh, test, they, the whole gang tested positive, you know, so didn't get to come. A lot of things to get disrupted have men, right? What can you count on? I'll tell you, he will hold you fast. You can count on Jesus' love, but there's absolutely nothing, nothing that can separate you from Jesus' love. He loves his kids. That's why he came. So all that other stuff, it'll come and go. It'll change and whatever, but you can count on Jesus' love. And, and it, we sang it today. So a number of the songs, the, the tempo of them was a little slower, a little thoughtful, a little like, man, there's a lot of tough stuff, but Jesus will hold you fast. He's your refuge. What we're going to get today ends on that phrase, blesses the one whose refuge is in God. And, and I want us to see all that. So uh, we're going to do something a little different today. Um, maybe it's not a little different. So sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, sometimes I do a little bit of both. It's going to be a little bit of that. Um, but what we're starting, this is kind of that tweener Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. I, I really enjoy this Sunday and, and starting all that we've celebrated in the coming of Christ and his return and thinking of a new year. He makes everything new. And so while for some of us it's hard to plan ahead, I just want to say Jesus has already gone before us. It's going to be a good year. I can't tell you what's going to happen. But it's going to be a good year because he'll be with you. That I know. So we, a week from tomorrow is when we begin what we call 21 days of prayer. And on both campuses, why did you do that? So, how, how, I know, seriously, so Ashley's been coming. Does Ashley look like a morning person to you? Thank you for that word of witness. Um, Ashley would be here very often, your sister, mom, dad, but I mean, just not a morning person, but you'd, I mean, what time do we meet for prayer? What time? Oh, it's, I thought you said 6 o'clock. It's 6 a.m. It's pretty early. Taylor's been here. 
a lot. Yeah, some people come in their PJs, I think, or slip or something. I'm not sure how you're all dressed, and, and we don't, you don't have to brush your teeth. But we, 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 you can sit far enough away. We end up praying together, and we sit in this circle, and it's guided. You don't even have, we've had people say different years, I feel like I learned how to pray here. And it might be a big group, might be a small group. We, I mean, last year we had like 20 people almost all the time. I'm going like, what in the world are you doing at 6 a.m.? I know you're not awake. But we did that for it's three weeks. Why do we do that? To say like you're super spiritual? Say like you can do something no one else could? No way. It's just good. It sets a rhythm for us for the year. I don't know, something about the morning, not fully awake, it's dark, it's winter, and a rhythm, and being with God's people, and just calling out to him. So we do it together. And there's something about rhythms that are good. That's, that's what Sunday morning, there's a rhythm of worshiping together as God's people. Rhythms are good. We eat in rhythms. We sleep in rhythms. Um, it's just good for us. I want to invite you to that. It's going to start a week from tomorrow. Oh, by the way, so for those of you that have this problem, I'm one of those, no one's taking attendance. You don't get a scorecard measure. Oh, these guys made it. These guys didn't. Everybody does what they can do, seriously. But I'll just say this. I, I, I think you'll be admonished and blessed and encouraged. I've heard people pray that I've never heard pray before, and it ministers to me. And God just, he meets us. And it's, it's not something spectacular, yet it is. So that's coming. Now, what we've done the last couple years in preparation for that, we've done a little mini preaching series in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to do Galatians after that, which I'm really looking forward to. But we'll do about four weeks in the Psalms, which we're going to do today. And so we're going to be reading Psalm 1 and 2 in a moment, but I want to wanted to give you this kind of introduction to it. Um, the Psalms, as you know, some call it the Psaltery. It's, it's basically a hymn book or a prayer book. It's a collection for the people of God. And there's, a, there's some rhythm to it. And one of the things that's helpful about the Psalms, it's, I mean, you read some of them, it's really honest. Some people would say it's actually a little bit raw in terms of what is said to God in its prayers. So some of us go, I don't know how to pray. And in some ways, the Psalms can help us because there's prayers. And, and for some people, it'd say it actually gives me permission to speak with God in a certain way. Uh, you might, might remember this. When Jesus is on the cross, there's, so some people, it's the seven words of Jesus, seven things. He says, one of those, his prayer is actually Psalm 22. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's true for Jesus. That's what's happening in that, in that moment. But he's quoting Psalm 22, which gives the word to express that. Have you ever felt that? God, where are you? Feels like you've forsaken me. And I want you to know this. Partly what happens in those words on the cross, Jesus knows your pain and brokenness, every bit of it. Sometimes we feel alone, and we are not ever. It feels like that. And many of the Psalms have that kind of an expression in it. But I'll tell you, it's in that broken place where the Lord is actually met. And we'll see that over these, the course of these few, these few weeks. Um, the, the particular genre of poetry. So what it does, um, he, Hebrew is very different than English. When we do a rhyme in poet, we, we rhyme uh, words. That's not how Hebrew does it. They rhyme ideas. 
So an idea is said like this, and then another idea that's very similar comes along, and another idea that's very similar. You'll see that in the first verse today. What, why is that? I mean, can you just say it clear? Can you just say it direct? I'm kind of more of that direct kind of thinker. But the value in saying this differently in different ways, one is it slows me down to think about what's being said. Another is it turns this idea over to look at it at a different angle. And if I'll read it slow enough, I absorb it differently. The Psalms are not met, meant to be read quickly. Poetry isn't. I mean, I don't know what you like to read. I, I'm not a guy who likes to read poetry. Some of you might be. I... I, I'm, I'm too, poetry slows you down, makes you think. It does pictures. There's, there's that in here. So we will think about something deeply and possibly have it absorb into us more. Um, so in the beginning of October, uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Rob, myself, we were with a bunch of pastors in Lansing, Michigan, and we were studying the Psalms. I taught them again in Poland and then again in Central Asia uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So I've been spent a lot of time there. So here's kind of the theme that we're using for the book of Psalms. I don't know if you think about, so it's more than just a collection. There's, they've actually been put together in a particular order. So here's what we call the melodic line or the theme. Ian, I think we have that one. That God's king leads God's people. Uh, sometimes we add the phrase, by his promises, God's king leads God's people through the valley to sing God's praise. And you'll notice it in the Psalms. There's, there's very often a down and then it comes back up. And it's down in the valley where God is met, where he shows up himself. Sometimes Psalms are paired together. We don't think about this a lot, but sometimes one Psalm answers another Psalm. So Psalm 23 is one that a lot of people know. The Lord is my shepherd, right? would have been said right before that in 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is one of the lowest points. And while there is a turning in that psalm, there is a way in which Psalm 23 comes in and answers fully what Psalm 22 has to say. So as you read them, it's good to, to look for pairs. That's a little bit the way the, the Hebrews would have put them together. And we're going to do that today. So we're going to do that with Psalm 1 and 2. So let me, how many of you heard a sermon on Psalm 1 ever? No? Okay. Some are saying maybe. Um, very often, if, if you'll hear it, Psalm 1's preached just by itself, which is, is fine to do that. Um, we're going to do them together, and there's a reason. I think it's Spurgeon who called Psalm 1 and 2 the doorway to the Psalter. There's a way in which it sets a trajectory for us. So as we do that today, we're going to kind of think through it. It's not that many verses. I think it's 13 altogether. We're going to think about how one answers the other. They're, they're true by themselves. But what's one saying? What's two saying? How does two answer one? So, um, let, me, let me read. Hey, are you okay standing? We do this sometimes. Would you, can we stand? I'm going to read um, these verses together. This is, this is God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray as we stand. Father, this is your word. Would you open both our mind and our hearts to it? And would it do its good work in us, O Lord, we pray, as we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> wow, that's a different kind of reading for a day, huh? So some of that might have been familiar too, some of it maybe not so much. How are these, how are these two connected? So one of the ways, um, this is true in all of Scripture, that we've been taught to think about something, some people call it the bookends. So this could be true in epistle, a section of thought. You look at the beginning and you look at the end. So how does, what's the theme with which Psalm 1 begins and Psalm 2 ends. Anybody see anything come? I'll, I'll actually ask it. Anybody see a theme or a word? Blessed. He starts right out in verse 1 and says, Blessed is the one who doesn't do these things, but does this. Blessed is the one, so I, I call it this way. Psalm 1 is, it's the one who's delighting in God's word. He's blessed. Delighting in God's word. Psalm 2, how does it end? Blessed is the one who does what? Takes refuge where? Takes res refuge in God. Blessed is the one, Psalm 1, who's delighting in God's word, meditating in God's word. Psalm 2, blessed is the one who's finding refuge, I'm going to use the word, in God's king. You'll see the kingly language in the, in the middle of that. Let's think about that together now how these two go together. Look at the first few verses of Psalm 1. I mean, basically what this is about, sometimes I, I'm reading something, there's lots of details, and then i got to kind of zoom out. Okay, what's this basically about? That beginning section, those first three verses, is, is about a person who's orienting their life towards God and his word and not the voices of others. It's a lot of voices, aren't there? But I mean, verse 3 is like, He's not doing this, he's not doing this, he's not doing this, but he's doing this. That's a little bit what repentance is. I'm not turning this way on my own, I'm turning this way to Jesus. And he used that sit, walk, stand kind of language. I'm not, 
All those who are rejecting God, I'm not, I'm not hanging there. I'm, that's not where I'm going to be. I'm going to be this particular way. And then he uses a, uh, an image, a metaphor, which Psalms often do. It's good to think about the metaphors. He talks about this tree. So imagine this in your mind. The one who has this orientation to God, who's rejecting that other way, he is, he's like this tree planted by a river. So what I think of is um, in the fall, a lot of us go down to Turkey Run, and we, we canoe. Is it Sugar Creek? No one's correcting me. The creek that's right there. I think it's Sugar Creek. We, we're, we're, we kayak that, and there's always a bunch of big sycamore trees. And sycamore trees are often by water, and they got these, I mean, they get massive Leaves that look like fans. That's, that's it. The one oriented towards God is rooted by the water. So think again, this is, this is Palestine. It's an arid climate. This, there's a, so when it gets a drought out there, it's got a, this one's got a stream. And so they're, they're flourishing. Versus the wicked who are like chaff. So chaff is like you take a, a, kernel, uh, a dry kernel and, and you're rubbing it. It's just the dust that's left. It's like dust in the wind just whoosh, blows away. You get the two pictures. One rooted, one not. So, and look at the words that he uses there in verse 2 of this person as he describes the person and how they relate to God's word. He uses two verbs. What does he say? I'll, I'll ask you. What do they do with God's law, God's word? He meditates on it, and he does something else. He delights in it. So think about those two words. The, the tree that's rooted is one who delights in God's word and meditates on God's word. What's he talking about? Let me ask it this way. What do you delight in? Or if you would say, hey, I delight in whatever that is. What do you mean by that? That you delight in something. Oh, you enjoy it. Um, you, you look for it in some way to maybe make you happy. You pursue it. It gives you joy. You, you delight in it. He's saying that. That's the person who's blessed. That, that's how they see God's word. They delight it. They treasure it. And he, he meditates on God's word. What does he mean by meditate on it? I mean, it's certainly more than reading it. Justin and Kai, Cindy and I, we all went to the same Mike, but we all went to the same Bible college, and it was common language or question or somewhere someone might ask the question or make the statement, hey, did you do your devotions? It's not a bad thing. But meaning, did you read your Bible today? Not a bad thing. But certainly this is more than just read your Bible every day. That, that phrase was used almost like if you read your Bible, it's like you took a spiritual multivitamin, so you're okay. You know? That's not what this is saying. This is saying this person is, is meditating on God's word. They're, they're thinking about it. They're, they're pondering it. So when, to meditate on something, it's not about the amount of material you have consumed or, or read about. You thought about it, and somewhere it gets absorbed in your life. You've almost a holy curiosity where you're turning it over, wondering what this means, why it was said this way, what it tells me about God, what it what it says about me, Lord, how much do I need this? It's asking all kinds of questions. A lot of times we, we recommend the practice of journaling along with scripture reading. It just helps me think about it, slows me down on it. That's meditating. 
It gets absorbed in my life differently. Changes me. I, I think all of us probably, if I've read some scripture, there's been times I've, I just read it too fast. I didn't think about it. Maybe even these passages. I've just gone, this is someone, their, their orientation is different. Again, he's describing this is the one who's blessed like this tree. And this is kind of classic wisdom literature. If you remember us doing the Psalms, it was often, here's these two paths. You know, so if you want to use word, the righteous path, the wicked path, it lays these two things out here. It's like, which one do you want to go on? Duh. I mean, so you know which one. But he's commending it to us and seeing this contrast. So when he talks in verses 4 through 6 about the other path, the path of perishing, it has no substance, no foundation, no staying power, no roots. It's like a, a tumbleweed. When I was a kid, uh, my, my dad got transferred from the uh, Midwest to, to the West Coast. And so because we had family back in the Midwest, we'd make that trip very often in the summer back and forth. I remember driving across Wyoming, and there'd be this bush. I mean, it's coming right at us. It's blowing across the interstate, and it bounced in the car. It was nothing. It was a rootless tumbleweed. It looked big and scary, had nothing to it. He says that's that life, like chaff. It's blowing in the wind. No substance, no root, versus the one rooted in God, delighting in his word. Okay. So I wanna, I'm going to put a word of caution in here. There's a danger about this particular psalm. There's a, a temptation. There's a temptation for all of us to draw the wrong conclusion when we read this. Here's what it is. Look at all those sinners. They're, they're going to get what they deserve. Oh, we don't say it out loud. We think it. It's deep down. It's actually something Jesus warns us about. Let me. Do we have this one? Go ahead and put it up, Ian. Luke 18, it's a very interesting a parable. You got it? Okay, Jesus tells a parable, and what he's addressing is that very attitude. Look at this first verse. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Let me just pause. Jesus is speaking to the religiously informed, not people who don't know God. He's, he's telling this, peop, this parable to people who actually know the Scripture. Why? Because he knows what they're tempted to do. And friends, there's a little Pharisee in all of us to think I'm okay because I'm in church and those guys aren't. And man, if they just knew God and were just following God, their life would be better, and they're not. It's not the right attitude. Watch how Jesus tells this, this. It's a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pause. Classic wisdom literature. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Everybody knows this story. Pharisee, he's got it. This guy's in church every week. He memorizes scripture. The tax collector cheats his people. He is a cheat. He disowned his own race. He loves money more than people. Bad guy. Story set up by Jesus. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. Hang on a second. Giving thanks to God's a good thing, right? This is the good guy. He's in the synagogue and giving thanks to God for what God's done. I thank God that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Next slide, so I can read it. 
I fast twi- twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. All the stuff he's doing. Good stuff, right? Those are not bad things. But the tax collector standing far off. Do you get this? He doesn't feel like he deserves to be there. It's a lot of us. A lot of people like that. I don't feel like I have a right to be near God. It's not the way I've lived. It's not the way I've been. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. Beat on his breast, on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's Jesus say? I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Here's the point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the difficulty for us. Again, I think Jesus tells this parable because it's written. It's written for the church. It's recorded. Self-righteousness is a temptation for all of us. It's a temptation when we read Psalm 1. And we should not go and say like, verses 4 to 6 are not me. Verses 4 to 6, that's someone else. I mean, I love God. I want to follow him. Okay, that's true. But the, when Jesus tells that parable, it's those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. We have to realize our shortcomings. And if we're actually honest with ourselves, okay, how much have I delighted in God's word? Delighted in it. How much have I thought about it through the day and into the night? How much have I been distracted from God's word by the news, by relational conflict, by social media, by, by anything? How much have I been distracted by it? Yeah, there's a lot of that in us. So while Psalm 1 acts like this classic wisdom literature, here's the right path, here's the wrong path. We should also be aware of our own need. See, Scripture, and particularly wisdom literature, there's more than one thing going on there. It's true there's two paths. It's true there's a path we should have this trajectory to, but at the same time, we should recognize, i got a need. And that path is one, while I want it, or maybe I should say, I want to want it, because we're all inconsistent. What do I do? Where can I get some help? Ha, there is help for us. And that's Psalm 2. So let me just pause. You see how this is set up for us? It's wisdom. There's two paths. That's part of the message. Yes. This is the place we want to be, is be one who treasures God's word. It's a blessed life. But at the same time, we come to that, and we realize, I haven't fully done that. It's throughout the entire Old Testament. It sets us up for what we need in our Savior. We need to be careful that we don't read Psalm 1 and preach it like, this is works righteousness. This is, the, this is it. There's more to it than that. And that's why Psalm 2 then gets us to God's king. You saw the kingly language as we read it. Let's walk through it and just think through it together. In the beginning, basically what he's doing is he he talks about this human opposition to Almighty God, how they want to cast off God's authority. And, And look at the question he asks. Why do the nations rage and people rage against the Lord and his anointed? Well, that's been a been a question for all time. Tower of Babel, Noah's day, Jesus' day, and it's very, very true in our day, isn't it? Our society has a blatant rejection of God and God's word. We feel it sometimes. It grieves us when we see it. 
And, and each of us knows it's, it's very risky if we would ever admit or say out loud or post on the internet something that, that we think the Bible's true. We think the Bible's God's word. We, we know that there's some that would just, we just get reamed for it. Who gets to decide truth in our culture? Every man decides their own truth. We see these verses being lived out among us. Our culture rages against God. And more so all the time. Verses 4 to 6. Here we have God. It's like God's just laughing. He, he laughs at the, at, at the way there's this rejection of him. It's like, it's like looking at a spoiled child, a defiant child who's out here. I could do it myself. And they, they're on the ground, they're fighting. And you're the parent just going, you know, God just like, if you just turn around, I got this help for you. It's, that's the rejection of him. Like spoiled, defiant children. Who's this speaking of here? As for me, okay, God said, he, he who sits in heaven, he laughs. The Lord holds them derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, and God will be the one who will terrify them in his fury, saying this, as for me, I, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Who's he speaking of? Who's God speaking of? This is the right time. It's okay to say this. It is Jesus. There's kingly language in this. Watch how it, how it continues on the next verse. I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Sounds like Jesus again, right? It is. Okay, again, it's, it's poetry, it's perfect. How would we know that's true? I, I think you're just making it up, Dryden. How, how would we know that's talking about Jesus? So here's, here's part of the little teaching part. Um, in reading the Bible, so sometimes, oh, Evie asked me this question weeks ago. She says, man, how do you, like, see one part and know that it connects to something from the Old Testament and the New Testament? I mean, do you get that just from reading the Bible? I go, yes, but I cheat also, okay? I, I have a, a Bible app, a Bible program. I'd recommend it for all of us. So sometimes you're reading something, man, I know I've heard that someplace. I know I've, maybe you can't pick where it is. So one of those programs will show you. So these verses are quoted somewhere in the New Testament. I want to say to you, every time something from the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, there's a particular way we want to pay attention to it. There's a particular reason why it's done. And a lot of times, I understand it a little bit, but when it's quoted, it's like um, the difference between black and white and color. You go, oh! And you see the beauty of it. So these verses are quoted a number of times in the New Testament. Uh, Paul quotes it in Acts 13.33. Okay, I'm not a Bible genius. I, I looked it up on my app. You can do that too. Okay? But I, and he quotes it, and he's quoting as he's preaching in Antioch, Pisidia. But what's interesting, whenever you see how a verse is used, look at the context and the way it's used. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 1 and chapter 5, uses and it, And it's all about Jesus and about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, once again, where did they figure that out? Are they doing like, I love, um, oh, Joe preached at Sawyer last week, didn't he? So, <clears throat> I know we got this weird thing going on where two guys preach a lot and one guy's on one campus. Watch the other sermon too. So the, his opening illustration as he's closing out this whole series was, uh, was a dot-by-dot picture I thought it was really helpful to think of how all these things connect together. And that's where you'll see the dots connect. How did, what, how did, did Paul make that up? How do you bring that connection? Here's who connected the dots. 
Jesus himself. In Luke 24, I've referred to this a number of times, but it's important in understanding Bible connections. In Luke 24, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's walking on the Emmaus Road, and two times in that chapter, he talks to the disciples, the resurrected Jesus. Do you think they listened to him then? <laughs> you know, he's, they saw him die, he's resurrected. And it says he taught them through Moses, that's the first five books, the prophets and the Psalms, all that was said about him. In other words, Jesus did an Old Testament survey class to show what this prophetic word, this poetry, what it meant about him. And they go like, oh, I never, I never got that like that. Once again, okay, they don't have Bibles in their hands like we have. It's a scroll that was read in the synagogue, so they go and hear it. But that's why the apostolic preaching is so strong, particularly when the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus tutored them and says, this is what it meant when it said this about me here and here and here. It's God just pulling back the veil. So these verses are quoted about Jesus a number of times in the New Testament. Okay, why do I say that? Because now as we see that clearly in Psalm 2, let's think Jesus. We're thinking Jesus set on God's holy hill, God's one and only son. So now we come to verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read them again. I don't think we have them up here. When I read them, Tell me what you think of in terms of biblical history. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Ask of me, this is what the God is saying to Christ, the one I've set on my holy hill, my, the Son. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Pause. What do you think of? Well, verse 9, man, that's, that's obviously judgment. What do you think of when you see, ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession? Do you hear a poetic form of the Great Commission there? Where he sent his disciples out to the ends of the earth. Do you hear revelation, as Job and Mike preached it last week, where he said every single nation, every language, every tribe will be there before the throne at the end and they will be declaring, worthy are you, the Lamb, that God has given the nations to the Son. He's speaking in those verses of the end of Jesus' reign when the nations will be worshiping. There will be people from every language group. That's why we go and do missions. He's already prepared. He's a people for himself in every language group. That's why we go and do it. So there'll be worshipers for him everywhere. And those who have rejected him, there will be a judgment. And Jesus, Jesus spoke of that himself in Matthew 24 and 25. Some people said, man, I don't, like, I don't like talking about hell. I don't like preaching about hell. Problem was, Jesus wasn't scared about it. And when you read Matthew 24 and 25, he very clearly he speaks of that and eternal punishment. It's, it's right here in this particular psalm. Jesus' final reign and the end. Then this psalm concludes verses 10 to 12, and I'll read it. But what he does now is, now he's calling us all to respond. It's the last stanza of the song. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the, of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I'd underline that last sentence. 
So again, be wise and be warned. There's an appeal, particularly those who have been blatantly rejecting. And here's what he says. You cannot ignore this. Jesus is king. This is true for all of us. All forever. Jesus is king, and you will either follow him or not. You will either submit to his rule, or you will reject it and try to rule your own life. You're either for him or you're against him. There is no middle ground. To ignore that is actually to disobey. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, Think of the two-year-old child again. The parent is saying something to the two-year-old child, and the two-year-old child pretends not to hear. What are they doing? That's disobedience. To ignore is not, it's not submitting, it's not, it's disobedience. That's what he says. You, You can't do that. It's the same thing for us. So he says, be wise and warned. Listen, this is, I mean, this is just true. This is what's going to happen. It's very clear. You want to turn to him. You want to serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with him with trembling. Kiss the son. So some people are like, man, why has it got that anger language in it? Why does it say uh, rejoice with trembling? Can I just be happy? What, what's that part of it? So here's, here's one part that's, that's a little bit dangerous for us. The beauty of Jesus is he took on human flesh, so he brings God near by being human. But, and we think of baby, we think of the most vulnerable form, but we have to remember he's God Almighty. So when I think of God Almighty, I'm like, what in the world am I doing around something like that? Who made the galaxies, who has all power. So the trembling, it's interesting, it's actually a trembling with joy. And I know the word awesome gets overused, but only God is truly awesome. And that's the aspect of that. It's a call to yield our lives to Jesus, to stop fighting, stop ignoring, stop trying to live as if we are our own king, our own boss, and to rule our own life. So I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I I'm talked about forms of government. What is the best form of government? See, a Christian is essentially a person who has renounced self-rule and they trust Jesus. So when I said that, I said, yeah, what's the best form of government? I mean, democracy is pretty good except for all the people because people get a vote and we get, we're pretty messed up. And you, I mean, you just watch it, what's going on in our democracy and, and how it's gone on and the polarization, the fighting and the villainizing of that other side and all the different voices. We're seeing the underbelly of democracy. And I'd still say democracy is a human form of government. It's, it's a pretty good one. It's not the best. The best is actually a true monarchy where there's a true all good king. He's all good, he's all kind, and he's all powerful. And he only wants to do what is always in the best for his people. Can you imagine such a, such a thing? He provides all. He's all good, all kind, gives of himself for the good of his people and has all the power to do it. That will be when Jesus reigns, finally. Amen? That's what it will be. That's true. So that aspect of submitting to him, friends, we're made for that. And when we resist it, it's because we do not understand him and we have magnified ourselves. Blessed is all are all who take refuge in him. I want to suggest to you that last sentence is actually a whisper of the gospel. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He's the help we need. 
We've not fulfilled the first part of Psalm 1. We want to, or we want to want to. But we can trust Jesus and his righteousness. So I'm going to take two minutes and just think through these two things. I won't explore them enough. The word refuge and the aspect of valley. So again, if you have a Bible app, I would look up the word refuge, do this this afternoon, and look at it through the Psalms. It's 47 times. Um, And I'm going to read a couple of them. Because that part of how does one take refuge in God? When you think of refuge, what do you think of? It's safe there. You can count on it. You know where to go. God is that to his people, if we will. Ian, let's just roll through them. I got a few to just give you a taste. What's the refuge? Keep going. Did you get the verses? Did you print them? Okay, I'll, I'll read them. 28, 8, and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 46. Some of you have memorized this one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of, time of need. I could read more, but you get the idea. They're all the way through. If you, want, if you want sermon notes, by the way, just write the office. Um, he's our refuge. That's the gospel. Last one I want you to think about is valleys. It's not here so much, but it will be in the other ones. The psalmist is often taking us through a valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we'll get this in Psalms in the future, but I want to suggest this. The valley, that low place, is a place for us to encounter God, Christ himself. I I want to suggest to you that all of us have them. Some of us have had many of them already this year. And they're designed by him to meet with him. Um, How do we phrase this in the book? It's like God's king will lead God's people through the valley by his promises to sing God's praise. That's what he will do with us. The valley is the place where our pride gets crushed. You remember Jesus' words uh, in Mark chapter 8? He's finally told his disciples very clearly that he's going to suffer and die. See, Jesus isn't calling you and I to go someplace he's not gone. He did it. And when he said that, remember what Peter said? Jesus, that's a bad idea. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. See, we want things resolved and done cleanly. There's an intention in going through the valley. And Jesus did it for us. And he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Because the one who wants to save his life will lose it, and the one who will lose his life for my sake, and the gospel will find it. Jesus has already done that. And whatever the valley is that you go through, he's there with you. And here's what happens. There is a death. There's a death to my solution. There's a death to the outcome that I wanted. There's a death to my pride. There's a death to self-rule. And there can be a submission to Jesus. 
a meeting of him that is deeper than you've ever known in, in ever your life, and he gives you his life. He gives it to you. And then you come up with him. And there's something in you different that is of a kingdom that is, a, that is different. It's in the parable that he said. The one who exalts himself will be taken down. The one who humbles himself, God will raise up. It's the path he has for us. I think we'll find it in this book as we continue to go through it in the weeks ahead. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may you grant this to us, that your word would become precious to us and that we would find refuge and your life in you. Lord, I pray for these brothers and sisters that you would be so kind to bless each one in that way for your glory and our good. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.